morning, good afternoon, good evening, Nord Stream, good morning, this Eagle Eyes on Tech, I am Eagle Falcon. We have a lot to cover today, very little time to do it, and I, and you know, I could probably fill the entire hour with just the nightmare that is trying to record this podcast. No joke. It was a literal nightmare. Regardless, it's here, we are ready to record, and we are doing so right now. It, we're, I mean, we're, we're just ready. Let's just go do it. Kind of like how NVIDIA was just like, hey, you know, we got this driver. It can make older GPUs ray trace. Let's just go do it. However, unlike my podcast, NVIDIA's driver does in fact make older GPUs be able to trace rays, but um, the cost is, how, how would you put it? Not worth it? Like, at all? It cuts down the frame rate by up to... Actually, what would the, what would it be? It, it, I was about to say 66%, but no. It cuts it down by... I'm trying to think of the percentage here. Because it cuts it down by six times. So you, your frame would be one-sixth of what it of what it was. And I can't figure out what percentage that is off the top of my head. The point is, is that the kind of GPU horsepower you would need to ray trace and not have the worst frame rates in all of existence would pretty much require you to spend about as much money as you would have anyway on, say, an RTX 2060. Which is currently the most cost-effective entryway into ray tracing. And in fact, right now I still would recommend the RTX 2060 for most rigs. Unless you're going for super, super high-end. Now, I say that, and if you can't afford the cost of the, of the 2060, I'm not going to blame you. I'm just saying, when I'm looking at my rigs over here, which are used, low-cost, old workstations, you know, I'm just saying, stashing a RTX 2060 in there seems like a good idea. And considering the fact that the driver that was supposed to give ray tracing to older cards, such as the GTX 1060, 1070, 1080, and the TI variants of such, turned out to make the game's just barely playable it just kind of makes you go why why would you do that and the correct answer is don't just don't however if you're really really on a tight budget for gaming the rumored gtx 1650 has been leaked out to reveal that there are no external power connectors now you might be wondering What's the big deal? Just about every power supply you'd build with has auxiliary GPU power connectors. If you don't know what I'm talking about, off the back of most power supplies with computers that you build with, they have 6 and 8 pin connectors. These connectors connect to the graphic card in addition to plugging into the motherboard. 
those are required for graphic cards that consume more than 75 watts. If the graphic card consumes 75 watts or less, it will not require that. The reason this is a big deal is if you actually are on a super, and I mean super tight budget when it comes to gaming, picking up a low-end mid-tower that was originally used for spreadsheets in a business or an office, implying there are businesses that aren't offices or offices that aren't businesses, but but I, I, I digress, the GTX 1650 can be a very viable option. Because those systems almost never have a 6-pin or 8-pin connector off the power supply. So you can go pick one of those up. They'd most likely have a Core i5 or a Core i7 in there because they want to make sure that Microsoft Office and Outlook and whatever responds very, very quickly. You can just plug one of these in and all of a sudden, for the low cost of... Probably $50 for the tower, and then probably the $150 that the GTX 1650 costs, you've got a respectable gaming machine. I mean, if you're on a tight budget, I mean, that's the way you do it. Everyone keeps going, buildings cheaper, buildings cheaper. Not always. And I think that needs to be stressed. And the fact that there is going to be another another GeForce GPU that does not require power connectors is a big deal for those who are on tight budgets. Rabbit in the chat says he remembers the days when video cards didn't require additional power connectors. The weird ones were the old ones... I remember seeing a couple that were AGP cards, which was the connector before the dawn of PCI Express. And they required a four-pin Molex connector, which was the same power connector as hard drives. And it was the biggest pain trying to plug in one of those graphic cards and stretch a Molex that was only built to go over to where the hard drive is and not go over to the motherboard. It was a pain to get that working in some cases i actually had to use extenders just for that but those are days long past we live in the days though when people want obtain memory with solid state storage oh wait no we don't i don't think anyone wants that who actually want wanted this but regardless intel obtain memory is now available with solid state storage on it To which I really got to ask, is this really worth it? So, Optane, and granted, I'm not super in the know with Optane, but Optane, as far as I understood before, was in fact just solid state storage on an M2 card that worked as cache for slower drives. And in fact, Optane could also be in the form of 
DIMMs, which is the kind of slot you use for RAM, which made me raise a whole bunch of other questions. And I pretty much came to the conclusion, although no one could confirm for certain, that um, it would only be on supported motherboards, and those motherboards would know that go, hey, you know, that's that's Optane. Don't use that as RAM. You'll have a bad time. But I don't know. So that just that just makes me look at this and go, wait. So there's Optane memory with solid state on it. Didn't it have solid state before? So is it faster or slower than the other stuff? I'm so confused. But apparently these come with anywhere from, on this one stick, okay, Optane was more like persistent RAM, but 10 times slower than standard RAM. Yeah, I knew it was slower than standard RAM, but it is different from solid state then. So then these would be SSDs with 16 or 32 gigs of this Optane cache, which theoretically would operate faster than SSDs. You know what? I'm going to let some tech reviewer with more money than me go figure out if this is worth it or not. (laughs) I think that's pretty much why the J's Two Cents and the Linus Tech Tips exist in this day and age because they're the ones to do the crazy experiments and gamers nexus i suppose but gamers nexus tends to do experiments that are more intelligent anyway let's actually go to something i do understand oh so these are a mix between persistent ram and storage okay Anyway, Disney Plus has been announced, or at least confirmed. I don't know if it's actually out. No, it's not. It's out on November 12th. I just saw first line. Disney Plus, it'll be a Netflix streaming-like service in which you can get pretty much anything you'd want from Disney, from Pixar, from Marvel, anything Star Wars related, anything National Gra- National Geographics related, and most likely many more. In addition, there will also be originals just for Disney Plus, and it will all be available for six dollars and ninety nine cents per month. And debut November 12th. So. What are my thoughts? When I started getting into. Doing Eagle Eyes on Tech. The one thing that kept being echoed. Over and over and over and over and over again from people in the tech news space. 
is that they wanted a cable service that was a la carte, that they only pay for the channels they want. And on paper, that's fine, but you knew there was no way that cable companies were ever going to do that. Well, they now have their wish. Because now every single content creator is coming out with their own Netflix equivalent. Some form of a streaming service in which their content and their content alone is available for a monthly fee. And by the time you get everything you want, just like I said before, when I first started with this whole thing, that they are, that you are more than likely going to end up paying more than you wanted to in the first place. So here you go. Seven bucks for Disney, ten bucks for HBO. Another 12 bucks for your Netflix. Another however much for Hulu. Another 20 here, another 20 there. Another 10 for Apple TV. Another this for that and another that for this. So here we are. Is that what you wanted? Now, I'm not defending the cable companies by any, stri- by any stretch of the imagination. That wasn't my point before. My point was that this ideal that the world would be better if you paid for everything a la carte would not be nearly as cheap as they originally thought. More and more, I feel like I'm being proven correct. And I'll be perfectly clear, I don't know if this is better or the way we had before is better. I will tell you this much, though. This method of having a Netflix, of having an HBO Go, by having a... whatever the heck they're all is nowadays... It's even more confusing to navigate than it was before when all you had to do was go to channel 2 and just look through the TV guide. And and yes, Unjust, I do know that uh, cable companies d- didn't control the content. Oh yeah, Amazon Prime also, that's a, that's another one. Actually, Amazon Prime's a weird one, because, like... I was actually eager to use Amazon Prime a couple of times, and every time I was just like, Oh man, I could watch this on Amazon Prime. I find out that it's like, yeah, it's available for Amazon on Amazon Prime, but you have to pay for it. Which then just maybe you go, but... But, but... The, what's the point? 
What's the point of having Amazon Prime if I have to pay for the content anyway? Like the Amazon Video Prime. Granted, I do not have a whole lot of experience with Amazon Video Prime, but it comes off to me as a giant bait and switch. But I also admit that I am probably the only one that has that experience. Anyway, let's move on. Okay, no Twitch Prime subs for this month for you. Okay. Just the the Prime video side of Amazon Prime feels like a bait and switch. I understand that Amazon Prime as a whole brings a lot of value. Let's be clear on that. Although on the whole thing, I'm willing to bet there is a ton of people who listen to this who have Twitch Prime that feel like it was a massive bait and switch when they lost Twitch-wide ad-free viewing. I am also still surprised at how uh, at how much anger there was over that. I figured there'd be a little bit, but man. That was big. All right. The Windows 10 October update that finally launched. Oh, watching Twitch through Chromecast apparently has no ads. Neat. There you go. There's a workaround for you. Although I will say... Again, I don't have a whole lot of experience doing uh, Twitch on Chromecast. But um, do expect a bigger delay when you're doing Twitch on Chromecast. From what little tests I've done, it seems to add about another 2-3 seconds. But anyway, the new October 2018 update that finally launched in early 2019... Let's you yank out USB devices without having to eject. The default mode for USB device. Well, all right. Let's let's go back to the beginning on this. Windows 10 lets you use USB thumb drives in one of two modes: a slow mode where the connection speeds are a little more sluggish, but lets you just pull out the drive willy-nilly. And a performance mode, but that requires you to actually eject the drive. This means going into my computer, right-clicking the drive, hitting eject, and so on and so forth. Now, I've only had a thumb drive die once. By not ejecting it. So in my own experience. 
ejecting the thumb drive seems to do nothing. But to know that those who have the terrible practice like I do of just yanking out thumb drives when they're done with them, that the default setting now is that you don't need to eject them, that's going to save more drives from the rare, at least in my experience, scenario of data loss because you didn't eject the drive. So, good to know, good news all around. Here's some other interesting news. YouTube is straight up copying Netflix and creating choose-your-own-adventure content. So a while back, Netflix launched a video called Bandersnatch. The whole point of Bandersnatch on Netflix was that you made choices, and you only had about four to five seconds to make a choice, by the way. And that there were multiple endings based on the choices you made. So it was basically like a choose-your-own-adventure book, except it was a movie. YouTube is also working on this same technology. To which I ask, what took you so long? The funny thing is there actually were YouTubers who did make content kind of like that where they would play a video and then at the end where there was a choice, you'd either click one card or another card and then it would load a different video based on your choice. And just continue that way. So some YouTubers have already tried to do this in a very crude manner. But this would allow a more seamless version of that, very similar to what Bandersnatch did. So that I'm... We'll see how it turns out. We'll also see if that's going to be reserved for specific content that's going to be YouTube originals, or is that just be open to any YouTuber? Ooh, could you imagine a Let's Play like that? Ooh. Ooh. Some possibilities. Anyway, let's switch to uh, more annoying news. Netflix. <laughs> Netflix is saying that um, they are killing AirPlay on their iOS app because Apple isn't supporting standard <laughs> isn't supporting a standardized format for them to take advantage of. So here's the thing. And this is kind of the same sort of problem that happened with the Wii U. There are two different kinds of AirPlay. There is AirPlay and AirPlay 2. And apparently on the software level, according to Netflix, they are incompatible. And if you want your app to support AirPlay 2... You have to redo the whole thing from scratch. That is pretty much what Netflix is saying here. Now, I would say two things. One, 
I would say, Netflix, everyone else went and figured this out. Why can't you? And the other, I'd say, hey, Apple, you know how you gave in and supported USB Type-C on your laptops and your iPad Pro? You already gave in just a little bit to standardized connections. What's a little bit more going to hurt you? Come on. Just give up AirPlay. Just drop it. Just go ahead. Just support other standards. It'll feel so good. Trust me, man. Just support more standards. And then you won't have to deal with this sort of nonsense. Just do it. Come on. All right, that's my pitch to Apple. I will bet anyone $1,000 they don't take my advice. That being said, uh, Google has, in fact, taken the advice of someone because they are now delivering food and medicine to Australians via drones. Google Wing is now active in Australia. And yes, it is delivering small amounts of food like shrimp and medication to customers in Australia. I have no, I, I don't know what to say. On paper, this sounds absolutely brilliant. At the same time, do you trust your friends to not beat a drone down with a stick and steal whatever it's got? I just got a feeling it's, it's not going to end well. Will Google Wing deliver a boomerang or dinger or dinger do? Oh, oh, rabid. Probably, probably not. Actually, all right. And finally, before we get to the break, Google wants to turn your Android phone into a security key. Well. You know, on paper, it sounds like a good idea, but with the amount of viruses and attacks on Android phones, do you think that's wise? I mean, our smartphones are basically the central hub of our digital life. Like, there's no ifs about it. It basically is. Even if you're some power user like me who relies on his desktop and mobile workstation to do a lot of his work. I mean, in the end, 
you you're you still use your phone for just about everything. The phone is such a big target as it is. You want to make it a bigger one? I'm skeptical. I am very skeptical of this. But we'll see how it goes. And finally, before we get into the break, Microsoft has its first official preview of their white flag to Google. The Chromium Chromium based Edge browser is officially out to first developers under its Canary builds. Now, I don't know if it's actually under any specific kind of project name. But there you go. It's moving forward. Soon, all web browsers will be based on Chrome. All of them. There will be no escape. Or maybe, with Microsoft getting in it, maybe that will kill Chrome. That would be kind of funny. It'd be terrible, but it'd be pretty funny. But that also means that there will be yet another browser out there to consume 83% of your RAM on your system that has 12 RAM slots in it. Yeah! We all look forward to that. All right, when we come back, Twitch EU... The TwitchCon in Europe has brought forward some very interesting Twitch announcements. We had to do a report and some investigative work for the streaming service DLive as PewDiePie has now joined DLive as their exclusive streamer. And Acer announces their push into the professional market space. Well, that was weird. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. The ultrasonic fingerprint reader on the Samsung Galaxy S10 has been breached. And it can be done... Technically cheaply, but not easily. I'm not going to lie. A lot of people are saying this is a huge vulnerability, but I mean, this isn't. I mean, first everyone griped about the S10's face facial recognition software being easily breached by the fact that a picture can unlock it. That actually is a big deal. And that's actually the reason why my S10 does not have my face registered to it. I, in fact, have mine done with the fingerprint reader. But you can unlock someone else's phone if you get their fingerprint, go over to your 3D printer that everyone has, 
totally. Everyone has a 3D printer, right? You then scan that fingerprint in and then 3D print out the fingerprint and then and then 37 million hours later after the 3D printer is done give or take a year you can just take that and lay it against the section of the phone with the ultrasonic fingerprint reader and it will bypass it the overwhelming majority of the time Okay, let, let's be real for a second here. I, I really have no idea why the majority of tech outlets are trying to make a big deal out of this. I'm 90% certain it would be easier to just hook up a rainbow table via the USB Type-C port and try to brute force the pin. Because let's think about this for a second. Let's say that Bob Bobberson wanted to get into my phone. He first needed to get a fingerprint of mine, hope that that's the right fingerprint, because I, I sure as heck didn't register all 10 of my fingers in the phone. No, I only registered certain ones. So he needs to hope that that fingerprint of mine that he stole off a pane of glass or something is the right one and is in perfect condition. Then he had to go home, hope that he actually spent $3,000 on a 3D printer to go 3D print out the fingerprint reader and then also have the knowledge to take that, that print and translate it over to CAD and actually get it just right so it would print, hope the 3D print actually turned out well, and then get a hold of my phone, which is 99% of the time always on me, and then use a debrisation of my phone. Unjust Manass says two to $300 for a 3D printer. Not for one that would be of lo- of high enough resolution to do this. That's the thing. They're not just saying any fingerprint, any, any, okay. Realistically, you could probably get away with it with like a thousand dollar one, but you need one that actually can get some really good detail. Like really, really good detail. You're talking about doing a fingerprint. Like, that's the thing. As far as security vulnerabilities go, it's a little disappointing to see that there is nothing in the ultrasonic underscreen fingerprint reader to actually detect to see if the, if the frickin' th- thumb or finger is real. That a frickin' cold 3D copy will do it. But this is also on top of the fact that, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest, the fingerprint reader in the S10 is terrible. 
straight up, I successfully unlock it 80% of the time. There actually was one time that it misread my correct finger so many times it locked me out of my device. And I originally thought it was because I didn't register my finger right. I am not the only one out there with this problem. So, I mean, all in all, this exploit, quote-unquote, is troubling, but it's not a big deal. Not by any stretch of the imagination. That being said, though, you need to step up your fingerprint reader game. Samsung did, however, step up their selfie camera game with the Galaxy A80 smartphone. This camera is also, or this camera, this smartphone is also a flagship tier device where the back half of us, wow, I can talk, I swear, the back half of it slide up and when it does the camera section that normally points out will flip to face forward and that is your selfie cam so you'd have the power of the three locked optical zoomed lenses for your selfie game this also takes care of the problem of people being paranoid that when you're trying to do a selfie, you're actually trying to take a picture of them. Like, that's actually a big concern for a lot of people who are camera shy. They see people holding up a phone, like they're about to take a selfie, and they're worried, wait, are they actually trying to take a selfie, or are they trying to take a picture of me? Well, this takes care of that, too. Because the camera can only face one way. And I gotta say, this is a clever way to solve this problem. And of course, by doing this, there's no notch, there's no cutout. It is, in fact, a true edge-to-edge display. Now, I don't, I do not believe we actually have a price for what the A80 costs. We do know there's going to be a cheaper A70 version. It does not appear that we have a price for them. April 26th is when the A70 is coming out. And May 29th is when the A80 is supposed to be coming out. Price, 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 price. They have no prices listed by the looks of it. Rip. Alright, shifting gears radically and jarringly, I want to talk about a game that I never plan on playing, ever. Apex Legends is very quickly trying to take the top spot for competitive, uh, what's, what's the right term, Battle Royale style video game. In fact, Apex Legends has been 
slowly pushing Fortnite out of the top slot. In fact, in the Twitch world, Apex Legends already is the top slot. And actually recently... God, I have not heard much about from Apex Legends. It's like somehow Apex Legends both became bigger than Fortnite and then shrunk the popularity of Battle Royales in one fell swoop. Although, admittedly, that might just because the crowd I hang around with does not like Battle Royales being literally everywhere. So why am I talking about this game? They are just now bringing out a patch that would penalize users for exiting the game early to avoid a loss. What? Are you kidding me? You only thought now was a good idea to do that? Literally everyone else thought that doing that was a good idea. And you you waited until now to do that. That should have been a feature like day one. Literally every other competitive game has something like that launched day one. All right, so let's get to the Twitch news. So this weekend was TwitchCon Europe. I knew TwitchCon Europe was coming. And I knew normally at TwitchCons, we get a whole lot of Twitch announcements for what is going coming down the road. I will be blatantly honest. I have no idea why I thought that one plus one didn't equal two. In hindsight, it's a no brainer. Of course, of course at TwitchCon Europe, there's going to be major Twitch announcements. Why wouldn't there be? Again, it's a no brainer. Regardless, it did catch me off guard a little bit, and there are some big, big changes, especially for small streamers and big streamers and all streamers, really. First things first is the improved search. Now, they're trying to claim that improved search and directory sorting are two separate features that they're one, let's be honest, but they are good. Improved search, we're starting a multi-year effort to rebuild our search capabilities from the ground up with live content in mind. In the coming months, you'll start you'll start to see smarter and faster results, auto-completion, and suggestions. The ability to select from past searches and a new search results page. Updates will be starting in June and getting better throughout the year. In addition, directory sorting. Right now, the directory is sorted by highest to lowest viewership. We've heard that you wanted more options. Let me interject. Yes, since like day one. 
So starting this June, you will be able to sort the directory by lowest to highest, most recently started, or by channels we think would be most relevant to you. Good! Seriously, what took them so long for this? Now granted, welcome change. By far, very, very welcome change. I can't say thank you for this enough. It's like I gotta, I gotta like bow and say thank you, thank you, thank you, and at the same time I gotta scream, What tech kept ya? Alright, next feature, recaps. Highlights are a great way for new viewers to get introduced to a creator, and we want to make creating them even easier. So this June, we'll be rolling out a new recaps feature that, gener that generates automated highlights at the end of a stream. We're launching recaps using data from clips, and over time, we'll look at additional signals to make them even smarter. You can share them with one click or make edits t to get them just right. <laughs> For those of you on the audio version of this podcast, you probably imagine me right now smirking, tilting my head one way, and resting on my hand in the kind of cool story bro pose. And you'd be right. In the early bird briefing, I said, this seems absolutely fascinating, like listening to text-to-speech for the first time. I cannot wait to see what machine learning and algorithms can do for trying to figure out what it thinks my streams, what, what part of my streams are the most interesting. Oh, this'll be good. Oh, boy. Twitch Rivals! Alright, there's gonna be a new season of Twitch Rivals. There's gonna be over 120 new events, formats, inter inter interactive extensions, and millions of dollars in prize money. I've still had, like, mixed feelings about the whole Twitch Rivals thing. Well, I mean, not really. I mean, the Twitch Rivals thing, I think, is good. I think in the grand scheme of things, this is a great idea and a good chance for streamers to get out there and show what they got. And part of me has always wanted to take part in this. There's just one problem. A, my own style is very chill. I'm a very chill, wise-cracking kind of guy. I don't think I would do well going head-to-head -head with a whole bunch of high-energy, wise-smacking... Well, not really wise-smacking, but... It's hard to say, really. Not only do I think I wouldn't do well, the other thing is that I don't have the time! So, I don't know. I want to care about Twitch Rivals, but at the same time, man, I so don't have the time. Twitch Sings is now available for everyone. 
I'm not even going to bother reading anything from here. What more do you need me to say? Twitch things. It was announced as a beta at TwitchCon last year. It's now available for everyone. I already downloaded it. At some point in my own streams, I'll probably embarrass myself badly singing Wake Me Up Inside. Probably while sounding like Goofy. Oh, yeah. I have no idea if Wake Me Up Inside is actually on there. Bounty boards have expanded. So the bounty boards is a feature that kind of... I don't know when it was announced. Like, I'm usually pretty well in tune with Twitch news and the bounty board system snuck up on me. What the bounty board system is, if you don't know, is the ability for Twitch streamers within Twitch to just look at the offerings that other companies have to create sponsored streams, take a bounty, say when they're going to do it, and then collect the earnings for doing such a sponsored stream right in Twitch. This is originally only launched in the U.S. Now it is available to partners and, quote, select affiliates in France, Germany, and the United Kingdoms. Kingdom. King Kingdom. The United Kingdom. Not kingdoms. There's not more than one United Kingdom. That'd be weird. And then finally, probably the biggest news... At least to full try. Sorry, I'm losing my ability to talk very quickly. Especially to full time streamers, net 15 payouts. This means starting April 15th, which is today, Twitch will start paying partners, affiliates, and extension developers. 15 days after they are eligible for a payout, which usually means that they have to hit, well, actually, it always means as long as they hit the $100 payout threshold. Before, they were made on a 30 to 45 day schedule. So this means that the streamers you support, they will be seeing their money sooner. I, for one, as a Twitch streamer, am glad to see this. I know there are many, 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 many more streamers out there who are way more happy about this than I am. I mean, again, to me, Twitch streaming is a hobby. But to a lot of people, this is... This is their living. This is how they make their money. This is how they pay their rent. This is how they pay the bills. So to have to wait 45 days for your rent money? That kind of makes you sweat quite a bit. So we're glad to, I'm glad to see this. And I know there's plenty of other people who are way more happy to see this. All right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about D Live. 
DLive, if you don't know, it is a live streaming service. It is one of the more strange live streaming services. I have known about this live streaming service for about half a year now. The way it... Well, I'll say why it's on my radar right now. The reason it's on my radar now is because the biggest YouTuber in all of YouTube, PewDiePie, has declared that the only place he will live stream now is D-Live. And he is also starting a support fund of up to $50,000 for other creators to join him on D-Live. All right. What is D-Live? Let's start there. DLive is, in fact, a streaming service. It's a lot like Twitch, except they do things a little differently. For starters, by watching streams on DLive, you are generating a cryptocurrency. A cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, but instead, you use this cryptocurrency to support other streamers. And you generate it just by watching, by the way. However, in order to start generating this cryptocurrency, you need to sign up for an account which requires you to submit your phone number. Which, if you're like 99% of all people with a working brain, kind of makes you go, now wait a minute. Why do you need my phone number? Why is an email not good enough? And I reached out to them for that answer. They did not reply to me. But regardless, I gave them... A phone number, not my phone number, but a phone number that I have access to. And I actually did a stream on D Live. A couple of things stands out to me with it. One. Setting up your stream is a chore. Before you even get the stream key. And able to actually put it into OBS to actually start streaming. You have to come up with a title. You have to say what game you're streaming. And you have to upload a thumbnail. That's not optional. You have to make a thumbnail and upload it. And I've been on a ton of streaming platforms. I have streamed on Twitch. I have streamed on YouTube. I have streamed on Beam, which is now, which is now, uh, what, what is it? 
What is Beam now? Mixer! Oh my god, I can't believe I blinked on that. I've streamed on Mixer. I've streamed on Smashcast. I've streamed on um, Hitbox.tv. Which, by the way, Hitbox... Oh man, Hitbox. That was a very, very special streaming service. Uh, One of my regulars here now (laughs) managed to game that system. We were the... We were the second most popular stream on Hitbox because Hitbox has no idea how to read viewers. That was hilarious. I've streamed on Azubu. I've streamed on Live.TV. I've streamed on Vimeo. I've streamed on Mobcrush. Mob Crush before was the weirdest system to stream on because it would only... Oh, I've also streamed on Periscope. Mob Crush was still the weirdest platform to stream on because they only let you stream with a mobile app. You had to apply to stream with anything better than your phone. But DLive takes the cake by requiring you to upload a thumbnail and fill out a swear word filter before you even get the stream key. And even the name of the server you're connecting to. And then on top of that, the way the viewers support you on on there, they're like donating lemons and ice cream, all these fake things. and uh, The whole thing was set up a lot like an old-school mobile game, where the whole point was to make you think this isn't real money. In a lot of ways, it isn't. Because most likely, the majority of the money that's being slung around is from this cryptocurrency that's generated by watching. But you can buy that same cryptocurrency and donate with it that way. And the way you buy it, the numbers match up very awkwardly. So it's very difficult to even tell how much you've earned. On top of that, the amount you've earned as a streamer is made public. Dude, what if you didn't want that info out there? What if you didn't want someone who's like super jealous to know, hey, I just made a hundred thousand fun bucks of this fake cryptocurrency on DLive? Well, too bad. It's public now. Like, anyone who goes to my DLive page now that I'll probably never sign on again knows that I generated 20 fake fun bucks or whatever the heck these things are. The whole experience on DLive comes off as... Like, the whole thing is just to make people think none of this is real. 
And by the way, yes, I did try to convert my twenty fun dollars into real dollars. They wouldn't let you convert it until you had at least two thousand fun dollars. Oh, great! That's wonderful. Well, so much for ever getting forty fun dollars, whatever the heck that converts to in real money. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. If I was really going to go ahead and just drop my affiliate status with Twitch and just stream, I don't know if I'd even include DLive. And that is something I've asked myself a couple of times now. Would I drop Twitch affiliate to go stream on other platforms? It's not the first time I've done it. I've streamed like I said, tons of places and I've done it all simultaneously. But the reason I signed my contract with Twitch was because, well, you don't get anywhere close to the amount of exposure you think you would on other platforms. The same thing with DLive. Despite being this big up and coming platform that's supposed to promote the little guy. Every single active person in the chat out of themselves as being one of my regulars. There might have been a handful of lurkers watching me struggle on Celeste that might have been new faces. And that might have been it. It might have been no one had any interest on watching Celeste. otherwise nothing I wish PewDiePie the best I'm not gonna lie I don't like his content it's just not my it's not a style I like like super over the top cringy sort of thing but you know a lot I'm in the minority on that there's clearly a ton of people that love that style and for them good on them as for the whole pewdiepie versus t-series thing i still don't care that's youtube's problem and there's clearly politics going on in the background of that we're gonna take another break here when we get back we still have all the acer announcements and of course the last burb including a very interesting Facebook story. The Rare Hour 2 of Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon, of course. So, Acer announced a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. I'm going to get through just pretty much the highlights, the interesting stuff. I'm going to start with the Acer Predator... Where's the name of this thing? 
it's Acer Hel- Predator Helios. There we go. Acer Predator Helios 700. A 17-inch laptop that is designed for gaming. And it's got, you know, what you'd expect. 17-inch screen. 1080p IPS display. No word on the hertz on it. Probably probably 144. Or probably something lower, knowing, knowing them. A Core i9 processor, an RTX 2080. Up to 64 gigs of RAM. And it is a full-size RTX 2080. So you're thinking, big deal, Eagle. It's a gaming laptop. What about it? This laptop has a trick that I want other gaming laptops to take note of. The keyboard and trackpad can slide down off the laptop and the trackpad and palm rest area can land on an angle to create kind of an angled palm rest and expose the cooling fans to more air. Now, more moving parts, more chance for failure of parts, all this, that, and the other thing, but the concept of actually drawing air from up above as well as below the laptop, that's a big deal. And I do wish that more laptops that are more built for performance would look into this sort of thing because heat is becoming a big issue again with these high-end 6-core and 8-core mobile processors. And, of course, the GeForce cards now consuming more and more juice and generating more and more heat. Cooling is a major, major factor. Now, of course, you're wondering what the price is. On just man, the price in the chat already wants to know what the price is. It's going to cost a bit more than Tree Fitty. In fact, it's going to start at $2,700. I'm actually not sure if you could build a desktop for the same amount of money, to be perfectly honest. It's that 1080, man. That, or that 2080. The 2080 costs so much. It hurts. It really does. Like, honestly, as cool as all these computers are that are coming out, I still have to take my stance on just waiting for AMD to come up with something, anything, to try and get, and try and push the RTX, the RTX line cheaper. Because this is nuts. It's a thousand dollars. For that graphic card alone. Solo, that is a heavy price. The Predator line is also, is also getting an update. Blah, 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 blah. You're going to see a whole bunch of R- RGB towers. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's nothing really of note here except for the fact that everything is RGB, including a, f- a 144 hertz display which would be up to 43 inches 43 inches for a 144 hertz gaming display 
dang. That might officially, I mean, that'd be great for like a living room as like a TV replacement sort of thing, but man, for a monitor, that's a little too big. In addition, we have Acer actually trying to get into the professional creative market. The new Concept D, which is starting off with, you know, your kind of basics, you know, Core i9s, Core i7s, possibly a Quadro card, and at the highest ends, the the Concept D900 would be a dual Xeon system and up to an RTX 6000 GPU and up to 192 gigs of RAM, which, you know... For anyone who only t- pays attention to the gaming space would just kind of look at that and go, wait, 192 gigs of RAM? Wait, 40 cores? What's an RTX 6000? Can it play Crisis? This is the workstation line. Remember, remember when um, there were rumors of Acer making a dual Xeon gaming rig. This is it. Acer finally got a clue and realized, you know what's smarter? Getting into the workstation space. Because two Xeons for gaming is dumb. And only the dumbest of dumb people would actually go out and get two Xeons to game. Wait. So yeah, Acer now officially is getting into the business end of things. And this also shows with the Concept D9, which is a convertible laptop, also aimed at the business side of things. Now, unfortunately, we don't actually have any specs on this. At least this article I have doesn't. But its whole thing is that it's supposed to be pretty low profile. It's got this kind of easel display sort of thing, so it can be a tablet or a laptop. The keyboard is pushed forward because Acer kind of likes that own thing. But I don't know if it's supposed to compete with, say, like your standard business laptops, or is it supposed to compete with the mobile workstations? Probably closer to business laptops. And then on top of all that, Acer also unveiled their new Ojo VR headset. They support two, no, yes, two. 2160p displays in order to power this thing so this would give high resolution into both eyes at the for the price of blah, 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 blah. there's a whole bunch of other specs here but honest honestly they're just they're the basics they're exactly what you'd expect it, it really is the only thing of note is the fact that it's high resolution in each eye when the other when all the other makers of VR headsets are trying to go lower resolution each eye. 
trying to lower the price and slouching on the quality. Even though on VR headsets, the more you slouch on quality, the more likely someone's going to get sick while wearing them. The other thing is that, like, most of the VR headsets nowadays, it does not require sensors in the room. It uses cameras and sensors just in the headset to track where everything is. Alright, that's everything that was announced. My thoughts. What can you say? I mean, really. Acer, for the longest time, has always been the budget line. If you don't know where I come from on computers is for a very long time. I refurbish computers. I go through business lots. I get computers that are pre-owned by other by others. I refurbish them and I resell them. That is what I did before doing you guys on tech. I used to work for someone else doing that. I then ran my own shop. I did just that. I refurbished computers. There are a handful of computers that I can directly tell you fail more often than not in the used market space. The HP pavilions from 2008, 2007, and 2009. Dell Inspirons from 2006 to about 2010. Idea books, almost every single one I ever found, ended up conking out, and anything made by Acer and E-Machine, and eventually Gateway. Stuff from Gateway from 2005 and earlier were fine. But every time I hear Acer, all I can think of are pallets upon pallets upon pallets upon pallets upon pallets upon pallets of broken machines, either with busted hinges, with failed motherboards, with scorch marks around the charging ports, that's just all I ever see out of Acer. It's hard for me to forget that history. Because clearly, that's not the Acer of modern day. Because if that was the case with the Acer of modern day, someone would say something. Someone would say, I don't trust Acer to make a dual Xeon workstation. I don't trust Acer to not have a house fire when they put 40 cores of processing power into a tower. I don't trust Acer to make a gaming laptop. No one is saying this anymore, unless it's someone like me 
who never has a chance to play with this sort of high-end stuff from Acer anymore because I'm no longer a refurbisher. And I'm not going to lie, I don't know when this transition from Acer making the world's cheapest stuff that breaks in two years, after right after the warranty expires, to making all this really cool stuff. I don't know when it happened, but it clearly happened. Clearly, the Acer that I knew from days upon days upon days of going through warehouses and going through and finding anything that I can refurbish and resell or just buy an entire pallet of computers that were just stored for two years on a lease and resell all of them. Something has changed since those days. So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to tell anyone, don't buy Acer. Because again, I'm not in that world anymore. I'm no longer in the field of, I've seen this stuff, it breaks. Clearly something has happened. The funny thing is actually a lot of people tell me never buy Dell. And Dell's actually the system I've had the most luck in resurrecting. But anyway, Sharp is coming out of nowhere and showing off an 8K 32-inch all-in-one PC. Raise your hand for a second. Do you remember Sharp? Do you remember Sharp building anything that wasn't a television? I think I recall once seeing a Sharp laptop. And I've seen a lot of weird computers. I mean, it's not just me, right? This feels like it came out of nowhere. But there it is. Quite possibly the first 8K all-in-one computer. In addition, they're also launching a foldable smartphone. Okay. The foldable smartphone, by the way, is more like the Motorola Razor style in which it folds in half like an old school flip phone. And when it's opened up, it is like a standard smartphone. No seam or anything in it. There will more than likely be a crease in the middle of the screen because we have seen that from the Galaxy Fold. We don't see it in this picture, but I have a hard time imagining it's not there. Someone in in the Netherlands has successfully traveled around the world in an electric vehicle for the first time. You know, I, I don't have any witty comment to this. I, I 
I I just want to ask why I guess the I guess the main reason it's important is just cuz hey look this guy went and took an electric vehicle the one vehicle that has the most anxiety when it comes to your range and how long the vehicle is going to last that everyone is paranoid, underline, paranoid about it having the range to get to your destination. Well, he found enough charging stations to get there, so good for him. In another weird story, we have a robot that can sort recyclables only based on touch. That's right, a robot that is just basically two arms with sensors on the hands can feel an object and detect whether it is paper, plastic, or metal. And automatically sort recyclables based on that. Now, this was just a demonstration. But there you go, it exists. For better or for worse. It was developed at MIT. And it's, it's, a, it's a thing. We now live in a world with this. We also live in a world with Blue the Robot. Who is also a pair of two arms. Or a, a, a pair of arms, I, I should say. A pair of arms attached to a steel rod that folds. And can do very basic work because he has two arms. I, I, this one from UC Berkeley. I, I, you want to know how you easily get in, into the tech news? You build a robot. You build a robot no one has seen yet and have it do something. I think the moment you accomplish that... You get into the news. I think that might be what all this is. I mean, granted, robotics is very fascinating. Do not get me wrong there. (laughs) But at the same time, it's two arms. There's a freaking flying drone with a machine gun attached to it. I can go assassinate whoever you want. There is, of course, the robo-attack dogs that are able to go through all terrains known to man that are showcased at least once a week. What do we have here, pair of arms? What can it do? Fold laundry. The key thing here, though, I believe, is that they claim they got artificial intelligence to work on it. I don't know. I, I've seen artificial tel- intelligence in the work in the work world right now, and um, well, there's a reason my Echo Dot is unplugged right now. It has misbehaved. All right, let's shift gears and move on to our last couple of stories, which both happen to be Apple, or not Apple, Facebook stories. 
Facebook wants to build an underwater cable that they are calling Simba around Africa. You know what I like about Facebook? This is the only thing I like about Facebook nowadays. Facebook doesn't try to hide their intentions at all. No, 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 no. Facebook just, they, they just go out and say it. The sole purpose of the Simba underwater cable is to get more customers in Africa to use Facebook. So, by building this cable and increasing the bandwidth to areas in Africa, we can make sure that more people can use Facebook. Um, hey. Uh, users in Africa? I understand that internet speeds there are pretty bad. In fact, you can barely get enough bandwidth to get an audio podcast like this one, in fact. Uh, here's an ad- here's my advice. Don't use Facebook. They are literally spying on you. What, you, you don't believe me? You don't believe me that Facebook would spy on you? Oh, it's okay. I wouldn't bring up this point without proof. I have proof that Facebook wants to spy on you and use you and and sell you ads in addition to using you for ads. I have proof. It is, in fact, the last burb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the day. Facebook has a has submitted and been awarded a, a patent to use machine learning to be able to detect brand names in photos on Facebook for brand names and then sell those photos to those brand names to be used in ads. Ladies and gentlemen, this is literally the wet dream of everyone at the CEO board. You remember how there was a big talk kind of early last year about how Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, how all these places actually own your content? You're not actually the owner of your stuff. Actually, in complete fairness, with Twitch, they own your content for the first 24 hours you upload it if you are a partner or affiliate. After that, it is your content. You can do whatever you want with it after that. It's just the first 24 hours they hold an exclusivity right to it. But on Facebook, you don't own your pictures. Facebook does. And because Facebook owns your pictures, they have every right to use their now patented computer server bot to read pictures 
and sell those pictures to the brands so that they can use them for ads. <laughs> On one hand, I am shocked, underline shocked, at the brazenness of Facebook. But on the other hand, I have to look and go, what took you so long? Like, really, what took you so long? I thought they already had the ability to do this. But there it is, in patent form. That's going to do it for this week on Eagle Eyes on Tech. Please feel free to, to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you found it, in addition to the daily podcast, the early bur- briefing, which you can find anywhere you found this podcast. And also check out my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash eaglefalcon. Take care, and I hope you enjoy your day. Okay, I have a new scheme, all right? Hear hear me out for a second, all right? All right, listen. So, I want people who are still on Facebook to take my Twitch logo and just, like, superimpose it at random in their pictures. And I want to see how long it takes Facebook to try and sell me other people's pictures that have my Twitch logo on it. This is actually this actually could be a very interesting experiment. Ooh. I wonder how that will work. Probably not work well at all. <laughs>